Welcome to Change Your Mindset Podcast, where it's all about believing in and executing on different and innovative ways to strengthen both your leadership and communication skills to help increase your success, and especially in today's disruptive business environment. One of the most effective ways of building stronger leadership and communication skills is by embracing the principles of improvisation. (laughs) Yes, that's right, improv. Your host, Peter Margaritas, is an improv virtuoso. He's also a certified speaking professional and a CPA, also known as the Accidental Accountant. Each episode of Change Your Mindset is designed to bring you different and innovative ideas, thoughts, and behavioral changes on a variety of differing topics, with the sole purpose of strengthening your critical soft skills. We may call them soft skills, but they are the hardest to master. And when we do, greater success and growth is the result. So jump in and start changing your mindset now. Let's start the show. Have you ever challenged yourself to get out of your comfort zone and try something new and different? What could it be? Skydiving? Swimming with sharks? Writing a book? Flying a plane? Well, my guest today, Terry Lecton, is going to share with you some of her experiences, and you will be amazed. Now, Terry's a speaker, writer, and educator. She believes that everyone can live a life of adventure no matter what their age, ability, or finances. As an asthmatic, non-athletic, artistically deficient individual, she has dared herself to complete a half marathon in, wait for it, wait for it, Antarctica, swing through obstacle courses, learn foreign languages, try even stand-up comedy, earn a doctorate degree in management, and discover that Impressionism is the only style that she can paint. As a speaker, she blends storytelling, humor, and practical tips to help others create a plan to stretch and achieve their personal and career dreams. Her experience in change strategy, visioning, organizational behavior, and research developed through her work with corporations, government, and professional organizations underlie the concepts she uses. Her next challenge is to write her first book. Now, before we get to the interview, just a couple of housekeeping items. Please subscribe to and share this podcast episode with a friend and leave a review while you're doing that. I would greatly appreciate your support. Also, please visit my YouTube channel, The Accidental Accountant, where you can see this video episode and a number of past podcast interviews. And please, please subscribe to my YouTube channel. I'm trying to break that 100 uh, subscription mark. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. This episode is sponsored by Peter A. Margaritas, LLC, also known as The Accidental Accountant. Are you looking for a speaker that can bring powerful content, virtually or in person or on-site, that is memorable and engaging in a way that motivates and inspires your audience? Instead of data dumping and numbing with numbers, imagine your people and teams delivering a financial story to your stakeholders. A story that creates engaging and relationship-building business conversations. Would you be interested in learning more about how that is accomplished? How would you feel if the value your facilitator provided your organization far exceeded the dollar amount on their invoice? Peter Margaritas, 
CPA and certified speaking professional, delivers all of the above and much, much more. All of Peter's programs can be done virtually, in person and on site at your location, or at an off site venue. Send Peter a note at peter at petermargaritas.com and or visit his website at www.petermargaritas.com to learn more about what Peter can bring to your next conference, management retreat, or workshop. Now, let's get to the interview with Terry Lecton. Hey, welcome back, everybody. My guest today is Terry Lecton, and you heard her bio in the intro, but I got a question. She doesn't know that I'm going to ask her to get this thing started. So first, let me just welcome Terry. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule, busy, busy schedule to be on my podcast, Terry. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. It's my privilege to be here. So I'm going to do something I normally don't do on my podcast, but after doing my research, I have to ask this question. Tell me something about yourself that would shock me. Well, I think the thing that shocks most people is I will say that I've done a half marathon in Antarctica. And people would look at me and say, wait, I thought you had asthma. You're a little overweight. Aren't you a little too old? And when the heck did you start running? And Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, on, wait, wait, wait. You ran a half marathon. At the bottom of the earth, basically. Yes, you go to you Ushuaia at the bottom where it says end of the world in Spanish. Yeah. yeah. And then you get on a boat for three days across the roughest seas in the world, and it's not a cruise ship. Oh, okay. Well, okay. So, what prompted you? I mean, I, I get a half marathon. I mean, why didn't you just go to Cleveland or Chicago <laughs> or Orlando? What 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 made you say? let's go to Antarctica. It's winter all the time there, I think. Yeah, you know, it. okay, a lot of my life I had this, this the old Southwest Airlines napkin and I wanted to see all 50 states and I was checking them off. You know, every time I got on a plane, like I'd be going, well, where can I think about going next? Maybe could I get a trip there? And when I was getting toward the end, a friend of mine said, what's next? And I was a real smart ass. And I said, yes, seven continents, what the heck? And then I went, whoa, wait a minute. You can't just go to Antarctica. Like there are rules and stuff. No Holiday Inns, you know, no Marriott's, no rental cars. So he said, well, wait, he says, I have a guy that I know that went there to do a half marathon and he fell on a glacier, broke his hip and he had to be airlifted. You should try it. Now, I thought the guy was nuts. He knew I had horrible asthma. I'm older, I'm overweight. I've never run a day of my life, and I'm going to do a half marathon in probably one of the toughest places to do it. But he said you could get seven continents that way. And, you know, I, I went out and thought I'll start with a mile and a half, right? <laughs> and I had this little mantra, like, you know, I can get from here. I can get to this continent and this one and Antarctica. The more I thought about it, the more I thought, well, maybe this is possible. Right. And but, I'll tell you, most fantastic trip I ever went on. So from the time that your friend mentioned this to you about the guy breaking his hip, being airlifted out of Antarctica, and it gets into your head, maybe I will try this. How many months did you have to train 
in order well, to want to do the half marathon. Yeah, I, you know what I did was I started first. I had to do a five k. I had to figure out how to put the timing chip on my shoe, get the thing on my front. You know, I mean every little aspect. And I got past that, and then I got to finally work my way up within about six months to the half marathon in Columbus. Now that's pretty flat. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and I'm at the back. I'm not saying my numbers are great, but I completed it. Right. You know, and then I started thinking, well, I should do a few more. So I thought, well, why not do one? Like my third one was in another cold place, Iceland. So I go to Iceland <laughs> to do one. And what's funny is the race officials at the end, you know, someone came over to me and said, thank you for coming. We really like you Americans who are at the back of the pack. and." You know, not doing as well and older because you give a good example to the rest of the people in our country. <laughs> it was like, because they thought it was like a 20 year, 25 year old deal. And it was when I figured out I could do that. And then I had my name on a list. I was on a list for four years to get my spot because they only take, they're only allowed one trip in 100 people. That's it. So people are on wait lists for several years. So I was doing a lot of other smaller races and half marathons right. and then my my chance came up so i had um i had gotten engaged uh to my husband as a few years ago i moved into his place the day before i left for antarctica and threw a cat in his lap and said i hope you guys will bond while i'm gone and then i left for about three weeks oh my gosh i i mean risk taker is not the right words to use I, and on your on your LinkedIn page, it's about adventurer. Have you always been that adventurous type of person? You know, not that people would traditionally think about me being an adventurer, but I was always trying things. And my brother, who's a year and a half, you know, was a year and a half younger than me, was a really crazy guy. I mean, he 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 didn't even think like jump off the roof. He didn't think about maybe emergency room. So I was the maybe emergency room. And so I kept him a little safer and he prodded me on to try things. So, you know, I think starting young and it's what I've done with my children. It's what I'm doing with my granddaughter right now. You know, you're two years old, roller coaster, you know, start building it in early. Now, if you think this is, there's a statistic, if you hit 10 and you haven't been on a roller coaster, it's likely you will never like amusement parks to the same degree as those who were on there very young. That's an interesting point because my son didn't get on a roller coaster until maybe he's maybe he was 10 at the time. And it was at Coney Island and we had the front seat. And oh. I was not the good dad at that point in his mind. As we were coming back in, I said, Stephen, you got to get that scared look off your face, dude. You got to get that because you're going to freak people out. You can kill me later. Yeah. And he's only been on a roller coaster maybe two other two other yeah. times. Well, we do smaller. I mean, we're talking kitty coasters, just mm -hmm, that yeah. because you're really looking at if, if that fear factor is too big and the stretch is too much, it's not going to be a good experience. You got to do it in increments. And that's what I did with the half marathons. And, you know, it's funny because some people have said to me, but you're at the back of the pack. A friend of mine just passed away at 83. He hit his head while running. He started running at 65. He was the one that gave me the dare. Mm -hmm. Um, so he was running for almost 20 years. He had done over 400 full marathons. 
and wow. people all over the world knew him, but he was never fast. He was never an athlete mm. when he was young. So we put these artificial things because people also appreciate people that try hard and do what you need, you know, do the stuff and get it done. So I would imagine as you work with entrepreneurs and, and through your teaching, you bring these stories in to demonstrate that risk is good. That I do. That you're going to fail, but you got to get back up and keep moving. Tell me some how how you apply this Antarctica story in the classroom or when you're when you're coaching with entrepreneurs. Yeah, you know, um, and you know, even when I work with people in business, what I try to think about is setting that that big goal that's out there. What I try to explain to them is, I came from a poor part of Chicago. The factory was directly across the street from my house, and that was about as far as I was going to get, maybe eight blocks either way. And I said, here's a person from eight blocks away, which is very similar to maybe many of my students. And it, but if you can think and you can try. And I tell the story about uh, Phil Kogan, the host of uh, Amazing Race. Okay. I mean, I, I watched it all the time and, and I met him once. And he said that the average person to live their dream, it takes about five days and two to $3,000. And almost anybody, whatever their dream is, I mean, in Antarctica would be a little more expensive, but <laughs> there, but you know, how many people want to go to Italy? That was my right. husband's dream. And he's like, someday. Someday is a horrible word. So I talked to them about, and we do an exercise that says, write down your fear. I do this with the entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Write down all the things that can go wrong and then all the ways you can prevent it from happening. And if it does happen, then how can you fix it? But then I have them think about, what would your life be like if you never tried? And when they go through that scenario, mm-hmm. it's amazing. They sit there thinking, wait a minute, why not? Because you'll get something out of it. And then I'll tell them other people fail, but you learn so much. You don't have to be a success on every attempt. Right. That's where you have do-overs. Do-overs, right. I I just did a do-over, yeah. What was your do-over? Well, I have a shameful part of my past. When I was four years old, I had my first failure. My grandfather was cutting grass at a cemetery at 70 plus years old and decided to use the money to, to take me to ballet school. Now I never asked for it, Yeah. but I was a ballet school dropout with a teacher screaming after my mother to never bring me back again in four weeks. Wow. So I was kicked out in four weeks. Wow. And it was not a bad kid, but in my adult life, I can remember the floor. I can remember my outfit. I can remember the bar. I can't remember any dancing. So that might have been the problem. <laughs> so well, I, si- I signed up recently to take a class uh, through Columbus State at uh, the community college to take a ballet class. I just didn't realize it was at the professional, you know, ballet met ballet academy mm-hmm. and that everyone in my class would be 18 to 20 years old. And I was very thankful because they said, oh, you're old. You're like, 3840. And I'm like, yes, we'll go with that number. <laughs> and I, I could do about 80% of what they did. I did some modifications, but it, it showed me that, you know, mindset and you can, and I was just so thrilled. I now have like a, a ballet subscription. I can like, you know, get into classes, you know, remotely and do it. And it's, it's sort of fun. Well, that's cool. And I think about entrepreneurs and you have to have a strong will and a 
strong stomach to deal with a lot of what entrepreneurs deal with day in and day out. And that I can see the bridge between Antarctica, the, the, the ballet, the things that you have done and bringing it into the classroom to make people realize we're all, we're our biggest limit. Yeah. And I'm being very transparent here. There's one thing I've always wanted to do that I haven't done. And that's skydive. Hmm. And I imagine you've already skydived. No, well, I did indoor skydiving. Okay. Okay. Because I really have this fear of skydiving, although I did work construction where I was, you know, up on scaffolding like 10, 15 stories up and doing that kind of stuff. But uh, one of my former Girl Scouts skydives all the time. Her husband is one of these elite skydivers, and she invited me a year ago. She said, we're going to Egypt. Would you like to skydive over the pyramids with us? I thought about it. So if you want to be hooked up, I can <laughs> give the name and, you know, you could go, you know, figure out one of the places these people go and they get you with some skydivers. I, I've done a lot in my days and, and I've done a lot. I'm pushing myself. And I had this conversation with a colleague the other day and she had to realize that she goes, oh, I'm, in, I'm trying to get certified in skydiving. You need to do it. Why do you want to do it? I said, well, I want, I've never done it. I've always wanted to do it. I need to get past that. And I said, selfishly too, I want the video. I want the video of yeah. me hurling down the, you know, to, to, the, to the ground from this airplane, probably screaming like a 13 year old boy. But how many people have never wanted to skydive? Yeah. And never I did have. indoor. I did indoor skydiving because I wanted to try it. And I was able to go up in the tube and I did mm. some air bat, you know, some stuff with the instructor. And I thought it was wonderful. It's wonderful for one time. I didn't, you know, I think we, you know, try stuff because not everything is going to be, you know, great. I mean, my biggest hesitation with skydiving is I wondered if I would have so much fear that I would pass out on the mm -hmm. way down and then wake up when I got to the bottom. <laughs> and I thought it was a lot of money to pay for sleep. Mm -hmm. So you, you have a point. <laughs> you know, so I did the, the and now I've done I've done zip lining. I mean, I've done uh, I took my 70 year old sister-in-law who has never done anything wild. She told me for her 70th birthday, she wanted to do a big obstacle course up near Cleveland. Mm. And I, I, you know, I'm get there. I'm like, okay. She's like, well, you'll get me through this, right? <laughs> like, okay. So I got a challenge for you. Yeah. And, and it goes along the same lines with, okay. So the part that I may not have put in the intro is that you're also a member of the National Speakers Association. Mm -hmm. and, and a number of, uh, Lisa Ryan for one of the first one that comes to mind is uh, up in Cleveland at the improv, they have uh, stand-up classes. And then mm -hmm. you take these classes and do it in front of a live audience. Yeah. And she said she did it once, not gonna do it again, but it was something she tried. But have you ever done stand-up comedy? I've, I've done both improv. My daughter forced me to do it. And then she started really egging me on. So she, she picks this day and I divide, I, I wiped some people from Toastmasters. Uh -huh. She said, no problem. I'll get you on the stage too. So there's like three of us. So, okay, we're going to get on the stage. My flight got canceled from Hawaii on the way back. I'm flying like all night, no sleep. And I'm rewriting my thing and then i realized that it's a little better group than normal and they put us they put the good people on and then us 
So oh. I'm the first peep. I'm the first person after the good people. <laughs> and and I thought, oh, this is this is going to be bad. So I think I was purely on adrenaline, and mm -hmm. I I told a story about the horrible road to Hana, mm -hmm. and you know some stories about that. It actually turned out pretty well. Oh, good. So I've gone oh. I've gone a few times. I I mean I use improv when I teach, even because I'm, you know, <laughs> teaching or or workshops or right. training. Right. It's like you're you're constantly improvising. You're working off of what other people are saying. Mm -hmm. uh, acting things out. Absolutely. I mean, that, now you're now you're speaking my language because I just want for the audience. There's a difference between stand-up comedy and improv. Stand-up mm -hmm. comedy, there's a formula. There's, there's mm -hmm. you know, a setup, punchline, tag, boom, and it's all based off of you know, shorter the better, shorter the better. Mm -hmm. You know, ten, fifteen jokes within a five-minute period. Improv, you're not working with the script. Right. You're, you're working with instincts. You're working with your knowledge, your, your life journey. You're you're listening really hard to what people are saying, and then you're adding on to it. And actually, uh, uh, Kristen Wiig from the SNL days and Bridesmaids said, improv mm -hmm. is not about being funny. It's about listening. Mm -hmm. That's the whole key, the, the big difference between the two. And I was doing stand-up at one time, and I took improv, and after the second class, I fell in love. I've done some stand-up in the past, but I, I still love the improv because I think it does more for as a presenter than stand-up does. Yeah, my daughter's done quite a bit of of improv, so I've got to see her performing and then also stand-up. So I think she just wanted to goad me a little bit, like, come on, mom, get up here. <laughs> come on, mom. So my, my my next question is with all these adventurous things that you have done. What haven't you done that's next on your list to do? Well, uh, my husband was very envious of the fact I got to play with the 10,000 penguins in Antarctica and all the, the stuff with that. So I told him what I really like to do is go to South Africa because there's a, another huge group of penguins there and he can see it. And I'd love to drive through South Africa. That would make my seventh continent. I would have hit the last one. Okay, wait. You played with the penguins in Antarctica. Yeah. So that that was on your off day or something that you get to play with. Well, we were the there about two weeks. So okay. you know, they take you, you know, you get off the boat, it's a little weird. You know, this is not like a cruise. You're coming down a ladder, you're jumping into a zodiac, the waves are coming over your head as you go to land, and you think you're gonna land somewhere. Well, they get you close and they throw you out and you're in knee-deep water and you trudge ashore. And every day we were, you know, with a lot of wildlife. I mean, I got during mm. the race, I got attacked by a skua bird who, you know, coming in to rip the top of your head off. I mean, you know, just normal kind of. And we saw the researchers, interacted with them a little. Yeah. And um, I mean, it was truly, I mean, it's the quietest place I've ever been, the most spiritual. And on our boat of 100 people, we had people from all over the world. Um, and, you know, people would flip you know, Americans don't know many languages, but all over the world, people know a lot of languages. So you see people right. just flipping in and out of languages. And it was really sort of fun to get wow. to know people because we had no entertainment. You know, we had to go get to know people. That was our entertainment. And, and you were literally off the grid for more than three weeks. Yes. Uh, we had a satellite phone we could use. Yeah. That was iffy. <laughs> 
from the boat. It's a research vessel to wherever. So the penguins in South Africa, that's the last continent. So out of, well, you can't, out of the, the six out of the seven continents, which has been your favorite? Uh, you know, I'm always asked, like, what's my favorite state? And what I run into is I love things about each one. I mean, my time on the Great Wall, uh, we were in a very remote part of it. We were doing mm. hiking. I mean, that was great. And then I think about the outback of Australia. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were in the cities, but we we went, you know, we never typically don't go on a tour unless, you know, you have to. Right. But, and even then, I think I run away a lot. But in, in, <laughs> in Australia, we were totally on our own. And my poor husband, you know, he said, he told, he, he we met through a matchmaker. He had hired a matchmaker, mm-hmm. just happened to know me. And um, he told her he wanted someone that was active. And I think he thinks I've almost killed him, <laughs> but he keeps up with me. So, I mean, it's, it's, That's he said good. he's traveled more in the few years he's been <laughs> with me than he's traveled in his whole life. But for our wedding, he had the dream to go find the village of his grandfather. And so I took Italian, we did research and went and found the village and stayed in the village. And, you know, it was a really great experience for him. That's, that's cool. So you do a lot of, a lot of teaching. Actually, we, we've, we both have taught at, at, at similar uh, institutions, mm-hmm. like at Franklin, at, at UM, University of Maryland. It's now called the Global mm-hmm. Campus. Yeah. Uh, and, and these courses that you, that, can you give me a sampling of some of the courses that, that you teach? Yeah. At Columbus State, I've been teaching mostly business management, leadership, entrepreneurship. I teach mm-hmm. um, a number of the um, entrepreneurship classes as, as need arises. And uh, in Maryland, I taught strategy and moving into international locations in the MBA program. <laughs> and now I'm actually teaching a class I think I like even better. It's the first class. Because that's where students are trying to decide, is this really for me? The and first class? To, What's, what do you mean the, the first, first class? Well, the first, the first class is a combination of learning um, you know, how to set up a paper, how to think about things, how to build the toolkit of skills that are needed for the rest of the MBA program. Okay. But I have so many students coming in that have been out of school for a long time. Have, mm-hmm. They're juggling a lot of things. Uh, they're all over the world because they have many military, yeah. uh, even non-military. And I mean, it's just, it's very interesting, but I look at that as a place to make a difference in a different way because I went to school and worked full time through my entire education. And uh, that's what many of my students are doing. And they're saying, how do I juggle it with a child? Yeah. <laughs> I had mine at the table doing homework through my <laughs> doctorate. Uh, so that's interesting, that very first class in the MBA program. But with your leadership, your entrepreneurship, I mean, I can imagine, yeah, they got to read stuff, but you must really wow them with a variety of stories that you have that that can relate to, that brings that emotional content into your teaching that they're probably hanging on every word. You probably get probably some of the highest evaluations at, at, at all these institutions that you teach. It, yeah, it, you know, it depends, but yes, <laughs> I do pretty well. I try to use a lot of stories because I think stories can convey um, ideas. 
Absolutely. And the more that we can storytell as well as deliver the, the content that, you know, that, that high content, the data, statistics and stuff, theory, but tied into a story, the retention level increases dramatically in the students. Yeah. And, you know, if I'm working one-on-one with them, a lot of times I'll kid them, I'll tell them something about didn't work with me. And that really helps to build the relationship. And it's funny because they'll, they'll know that my background is business, but then at some point they'll say, but I'm just an engineer. And I go, oh, but <laughs> so am I. You're a nerd. Yeah, <laughs> I competed in math and yeah. Grammar school, high school, I was a, a, a mathlete. You know the, the nerd profile. Uh, and I don't know what that profile is, but this, yeah, I, I think of, I'm a, an accountant and I live in the land of, of accounting. And I, not as much as it used to be that the county nerds, but you know, they're risk avoided. Oh, yeah. Most yeah. people. Yeah, I mean, who there's, are, a whole, there's a whole stereotype of an accountant just as there is with an engineer. Right, as as well as an architect, or as well as you know mm-hmm. th- these these high content, very technical, and the taking on risk is something that most in general do not ever want to do. I think it brings light to the fact that yeah, I'm like you, but I'm looking at the world through different lens, and as a student slash entrepreneur slash leader. You have to be, you have to have these different lenses in order to motivate and inspire. Yeah. The customers, your clients, your people that work with you to get to that next level. And what I found during my career was when I tried to follow the rules too much, it, I think I was mediocre. I mean, I was, I was a good enough engineer, but when I decided I wanted to break the rules, then that was where everything changed because at that point I could say, why are we doing things the way we're doing? Let me show you this, 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 and this. And then very shortly in my career, I became a person that was brought into an area to to create change and massive change. And then I was in my element because I could talk the tech and I could do this other creative stuff. Absolutely. And, and, And that's, I love it when I'm, in front of you know my technical audience, primarily CPAs, finance, uh, and accounting folks, and I can speak the language. I know how they've lived. I know, but I'm, I come at it from a completely different perspective, and they come up to me and go, "You really were a CPA? You still have yeah. your license? Yes, I do. You're not like us, and thank you." And that's what I see in you. That's so that's so great because it's. I think there's that similarity. You know, people that do that, there are people out there, and that's really neat. Yeah, I, I don't putting me when I first started in accounting, square peg in a round hole because I, I didn't come out of that background. I came I'm Greek American, want to be in a restaurant, very gregarious. <laughs> and but I, I tried to, I tried to put myself be, be like everybody else with the white shirt, the blue sport coat, weekends mm-hmm. come in khakis, and 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 I just it, I was. I was trying to follow the rules and I was not even mediocre. It just wasn't me. This is as, as you just said, and yeah. the ability that, to shake things funny. up. That's funny. The clothing, because that's what I remember. And you're supposed to wear this drab clothing, a suit 
And for women, it was a skirt at the time. And I figured right. out it couldn't keep up with any of the men. So I went to pants and a slack because, you know, because I was out in sometimes plant. And then I put started wearing red jackets and bright green. <laughs> yeah, I'm I feel a little rebellious. I showed up in a black suit one day and somebody asked me, are you going to a funeral? I went, no. They go, what are you wearing a black suit for? You're supposed to be in a blue blue suit with white shirt. I said, it's the new fashion. And I was like, you, yeah. But yeah. I, I learned that I like being different. Mm -hmm. And for those students and entrepreneurs, it's, it's good to be different. Well, you have to train people to be different. This morning, I, I also teach for Goldman Sachs. That's where I do some of the leadership and visioning. And I was watching the group down in Cincinnati who were looking at, we've been working with them for months, doing their expansion plans on their business and you know, really articulating and looking at how they're going to lead it and change it, even though most of the time they've been operating in COVID right now. Mm -hmm. And it's been really, it's it's interesting because when I work with them on the visioning, it was always like, push it more, push it more, you know, think bigger, because often they were just looking that one little step ahead. And I could see it in their final plans. It was really, really nice to see uh, the kinds of ideas that they ended up with after weeks and weeks of, you know, working together with a variety of instructors. I, I think that in that environment, and that how willing is the organization to accept taking large, bold steps mm -hmm. and coming up with those big, bold ideas or as a culture so much that I'm afraid to take these bold steps because they can be punitive mm -hmm. at, at times. And, you know, one of the one of the things is that you also have to gear yourself for being able to be that creative. So I found that I would always be recommending to people to do a workshop, read some things outside your area, because it's amazing. Mm -hmm how many people get their most creative ideas from something else that's not that absolutely you see that guitar over there i do i can't play it oh i i've never been able to however i there are times that i get stuck in my creative process i, I read somewhere play a guitar even if you can't play it. and i just start strumming it and just start strumming it and then the, the the sounds and stuff trigger something in my brain oh thank you and i put it back that's a neat trick. I like that. Yeah, it, it works. Or the other thing was listen to music and see if you can identify all the instruments uh, that are being used that helps in that creativity process. You know, I do something different because I studied a lot of music as a kid. I competed in music. I made money with music. I was a little entrepreneur back then playing weddings and things. But I would probably be the nerd sitting there making sure I caught all the instruments. I love to watch artistic pictures because I can't paint. <laughs> I have tried it. <laughs> there is no way uh, that I think I'll ever get anything out. But uh, I like to look at the creative color stuff because that is something I can't do as well. Right. It's, it's, but it's, you're attempting it, but you're also working that, you know, those who are highly technical tend to live in that left hemisphere of the brain. The mm -hmm. logical can't get off that straight line. The more that you play in the right side, which is the bigger picture, you are helping those creative juices. And uh, I don't know if I can still do this now, but somebody told me, yeah. take, you, take your left hand uh, and put the thumbs up and the right point at it, then go switch it, switch it. 
switch it, switch it, switch it, switch it, switch it, switch it. I'm having trouble there. <laughs> and so I, I, I was having trouble. It took me a while till I could finally do it. And I haven't done that in a couple months. But someone said that that little exercise mm -hmm. will help get both hemispheres fired up, especially oh, the right, especially the right hemisphere. But be careful, you can't poke an eye out. Good thing you got glasses <laughs> on. When, well, when I'll you keep first... the glasses on. That'll protect me. <laughs> so as we begin to wrap up, you've Antarctica, penguins, half marathon, skydive, uh, stand up. Hit me with another one of your daring feats. Oh my gosh. Oh, daring, a daring feat. Well, I'll tell you right now, people have thought that I have been very daring because during COVID, they keep asking me, what are you doing during COVID? And I have been, you know, and this is something I have talked to people about is like mm -hmm. anybody can stretch themselves in any way. Mm -hmm. And I decided that uh, since I still had that seventh continent, I wanted to feel like I visited it this year. Mm -hmm. So I decided Morocco, I was going to spend two weeks in Morocco. Okay. So every day I found YouTube videos where I could be walking through all these areas of Morocco, riding camels. Then I had to take my granddaughter to see the camels at the zoo, but she didn't want to ride them. But she said next time. So again, starting early. But we were making Moroccan food. We had Moroccan music. I had Moroccan and learning about the country and just doing all these things. and. You know, that's where I sometimes feel like people think you have to do that huge thing, but I'll tell yeah. you that was very satisfying. And there's a, there is a statistic that goes with it. And I think about my my trip to Australia, which was great, but it's great in memory. There was a lot of things that didn't go well, like blowing up a car. Yeah. Uh, but you know, things happen. <laughs> they say that when you take a trip, you when you're in the midst of the trip, it's like a six out of ten. Because you really have all the good stuff and the bad stuff. Mm -hmm. When you remember it, it's a 10 out of 10. And the great part about it is anything you experience, you can evoke that back and feel it again. But if you plan the trip and never go, you get an 8 out of 10. Okay. So, okay. Say that. It's, so, yeah, you go what? and you plan the trip and you look at all the places and you watch okay. videos and you do the whole itinerary and you go and get some food. And then you don't go at all. Yeah. You get an eight out of ten as far as satisfaction and happiness. I, I wish we had this conversation over a year ago because my wife and I were supposed to go to Australia in November, November mm -hmm. of last year. Okay. Uh, clearly, we, we we didn't go, but it was, it was a surprise. She planned it all, but if I if I didn't know now what I know then, you know what I mean? Yeah. And we we would have spent more time planning it and to go, well, this is where we're going to go. This is what we're going to be doing and, and see if, oh, that's, I remember eight out of 10. That's interesting. You know, so, I mean, we, so we planned the trip, but then we went and did the stuff and, you know, the stuff is always a mix. It's like, you're going up this incline and it's very hot yeah. and you're just about passing out, but yes, it's beautiful, but you know, there's, that's that, that extra two points, I guess, that you can get. Well, we went to Italy and we went to Capri and I still remember taking this. We walked to the center. So it was, a couple, it was like a mile up 
And then we took it to the top and we took this bus and it was a beautiful day. And at one point we couldn't see any guardrails and we, everybody in the bus, went, <laughs> we thought we were going over the edge. We still feel that. And it's been 12 years. Yeah, that's the part you're not supposed to think about. <laughs> but I've said, I, yeah, but everybody just kind of, yeah, kind of freezed up and we, I mean, ugh. Oh, that yeah. is that that sounds pretty hairy. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, and we get to the top, we were looking for a place to have a cocktail uh, to kind of calm my nerves. But see, I would I would have never thought that oh, there's a lot of places I want to go. I should try that. It, I, it, I put I put walking through the streets of Paris on I've been there a long time ago. I walk through I put on a video walking through the streets, put it on when I'm on the treadmill. And it brings back a lot of the memories and I learn about new places that are there. Sort of fun. That is good, but you know. Right. On a similar note, because it's that whole visualization that that you're going through. And I remember some years ago that I had to write and deliver a brand new keynote address. And I I've never seen a facility, but basically what they described, mm -hmm. I bring up two large screens, podium, blah, blah, blah. And in preparation for that, I visualized me delivering this keynote, and I visualized myself falling off the stage, walk, hitting the podium, <laughs> doing, doing all the things that I was it, it mispronouncing words. But I went through like a two week process of just visually mm -hmm. being there. And that, and when I got there, I went, oh my god, I have. I mean, I did have nerves, but nothing to any degree. And I and and I wasn't using PowerPoint or anything like that. So this was like an hour off, you know, from somewhat of memory. And I try to do this as much as possible is if I can get an idea of where I'm going to be and live in that for a while. So when I do get there, it's kind of the same thing that you're just saying. Mm-hmm. Then I'm much more comfortable. Yeah, and I've done that with big speeches too, where I really have to almost sit and visualize because I, you know, I'm just how is this going to work, you know, mm -hmm. and walk through it. I, I tend to be trying to get the positive because my brain's already doing all that negative. Like yeah. I'm going to fall. I'm going to, yeah. Right. And I, I, I put that in there just for me to know that that's not going to happen. And if it does, I won't be too shocked about it. Um, Cause I do, I, I'm not a podium. I'm not somebody who can stand behind a podium and, yeah. and speak. So I'm always walking, but I do have a good idea, but I can see myself falling off the back or something at some point I'm because I'm not paying as close attention as I should or falling off the front. Yeah, it, you know, it's uh, the, the good thing is, though, you have a comedy background. I'm sure you can come up with a good line to fit that into whatever is happening, right? Right. Yeah, I, I, something would pop into my head and I'm, I'm drawing a blank right now with, with, with something I could say, but yeah, something would pop into my head and hopefully i'd make the audience laugh so we all stumble with our numbers right <laughs> right yeah we all yeah yeah i mean yeah i just fell off the stage because that's the way i view numbers i just stumble all the time yeah. with them yeah yeah something like that well terry thank you so very much we've just gotten to know each other over the last year or so and you just blow me away i mean i mean you're an inspiration for anybody who is risk adverse is to what taking risks in, in your life and in your business how yes there are some failures but there are there's more to gain than to be lost 
there is and and doing it small increments sometimes just but think of where that where you want to end up whether it's personal or business and i've so much enjoyed working with you peter i'm looking forward as i'm in nsa longer to tap your brain for more tips <laughs> and ideas because i'm just starting out and trying to put all my things together well you know how to find me anytime i can help you please do not hesitate to contact me at all okay thank you thank you i want to thank terry for her time and to dare us all to seize each day and try something that is outside of our comfort zone because that is where your dreams come to reality i will conclude with an improv quote that is fitting for this interview there are people who prefer to say yes and the people who prefer to say no. Those who say yes are rewarded by the adventure they have. And those who say no, they're rewarded by the safety they attain. Like what you just heard, visit c-suiteradio.com. C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.